So if you guys want to, you guys can turn to 1 John 3. So 1 John 3 says this. It says, consider how much the love the, fa the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we... Excuse me, not been revealed what we shall be. But we know when he appears, we shall be like him, for we see him and he, see, he sees us in, as he is. Everyone who has hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So, the first word, consider. Um, what does consider mean? Anybody know? Anybody got their pocket dictionary with them? No? Okay. To ponder, consider means to think about, to uh, look into. And if you really think about this, John is saying, think about how much the Father loves us. Think about how much he has given to us. He's trying to remind the people that he's writing to, don't forget about what God has done for us. Don't forget about what God has done to us and given to us. And he says, how much love has he for us that he calls us his children? It's not that he is forced to take us. It was not that, he, oh, well, these are my kids and I have to deal with them. It says that he, he chose us. He has given to us. He, he adopted us. He gave us the ability to come into his family, and he says, I love you. And it, what we have to understand is this, is we're not just loved because we're his children. We're loved because we are his creation. He created us, and we can look at creation. We can look at the, the child in the womb and say, he loved us because he created us. David said, you knit me together in my mother's womb. You knew me before I was, while I, I was being formed, before I was formed. And we can look at that and say, how much love does he have for the littlest that he has for us too? And so when we look at that, it says, how much love has he given to us that he calls us his sons and daughters? It's not that he said, well, you're my kids, and I guess I have to raise you, and then when you're 18, I can finally get rid of you. He, he chose us. He said, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to bring you into my house. I'm going to set you at my table. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take care of you. And he calls us his children. He doesn't say, oh, you're my kids. Ugh. He says, you are my children. I love you. And, and what happens is sometimes is we forget who we are. Any parent ever told your child, have you forgotten your place? Like, have you ever had to tell your kids, have you forgotten who you are in this house? Like, has your, uh, like, has your sassiness gotten too much? And I think sometimes we forget our place. We get mouthy with God. We get, you know, stupid with God and we're like well why did you do this for me why didn't you do this he's like have you forgotten your place I called you to be my child you weren't born in here I called you to be my child I adopted you I pulled you out of 
whatever you were in, and I pulled you into my house. I pulled you into my family. And I think sometimes we forget that because we get belligerent with God. We're like, well, you didn't do what I wanted you to do. Well, he's like, I'm not here to do what you want me to do. There's nowhere in the word of God that says, oh, when we tell God to do what we want him to do, that he's going to do it. Has any of, have any of you parents ever had your kid come up to you and say, I need this right now? And you're like, amen, never. <laughs> there's a difference between demanding from your parents and asking from your parents. And I think so many times we, we forget who we are and forget our place in God's family, that he is our father. And that honor and respect and is due towards him. And we go up to him and we demand from him. Well, God, I wanted this this way, and you didn't do what I wanted to do. I didn't need you to do it this way. And God's like, wait a minute. Who has the place of authority in this family? Who has the place of authority in this, in this kingdom? He's like, I do. <clears throat> and nobody demands anything. You ask God. If you look through Scripture, it says you can ask God. It says, ask and you shall receive. It says, call on his name and you shall be saved. The only thing that is demanded in his kingdom is when he calls us to live righteously. He says, I call you to live righteously. There's a, there's a standard that he has and says, I want you to live righteously. In verse 3, it says this. It says, everyone who has hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. It says, verse 4, it says, whoever practices sin breaks the law, for sin is lawlessness. You know that he said he was revealed to take away our sins. So I'm talking about Jesus there. And in him there is no sin. Whoever remains in him does not sin. Whoever sins has seen him and does not know him. And then verse 7 says, Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who is righteous, excuse me, the one who does righteousness is righteous, just as Christ is righteous. Whoever practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. For the purpose of, of the Son of God was revealed, that he might destroy the works of the devil Whoever has been born of God does not practice sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are revealed. Whoever does not live in righteousness is not in God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. That whole last phrase is a whole message in itself right there. But 1 Peter 1.14 says this, it says, As obedient children of God, do not be conformed to the evil desires which governed your ignorance before you knew him. The requirements of transforming power of the good news regarding salvation. So it says, Peter's saying, don't let the evil desires that you once lived in um, control how you relate to God, how you walk in God. Um. says don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so what happened what that means is this is we have to start to think about the things god thinks about how many of you guys have ever tried to get in, do bible reading bible study uh, devotional and then everything 
comes into your mind about what you need to do, what's going wrong, what's happening in your life, and you're like, I just wanted to study the Bible for 15 minutes, and everything is jumbled up in your head. It's, it's, that, it's that delay of, like, oh, I know I need to do this, but then when you get alone and you get quiet, you're like, well, all the thoughts are coming back, all the thoughts that I need, what I need to do, and God, God is trying to transform our minds to think like him and not be concerned about the things of the world. So what he's trying to do, is says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, is how do we renew our mind? We renew our mind by reading the word of God, by studying the word of God, and by praying, fasting, whatever it is. It helps us renew our mind to get our minds to become like Christ's mind. I mean, we're never going to be perfect, but it's, it's a process of renewing our mind. But Peter says, don't be conformed to the evil desires. So when we become children of God, that means we are new. We are a new creation, born again in him. But what happens is this. Then we have to start to, to deal with the things that come into our life and say, okay, how do I become a son and a daughter of God and walk like God? Because he says, the one who does righteousness is righteous, just as Christ is righteous. But he says, whoever practices sin is of the devil. Okay, so all sin, falling short of the glory of God. We all do that daily, weekly, whatever it is. We all fall short of the glory of God. But it's the practice of sin. It's not I sinned and now I'm of the devil. It's the practicing of sin. It's the, the lifestyle of I don't care what he has to say. I'm going to do what I want to do. John 1, 12 says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. So what Peter is reminding them in this next letter, in this letter, he's saying, hey, did you receive him? Did you believe in him? If you did, now you have the right to become the children of God. It doesn't say you're immediately the children of God. He says you have the right to. It's a choice. He doesn't say, well, you're my child. I'm going to tell you what to do the rest of your life. He still gives us free will. He still gives us the ability to come into his household and, and submit to him. And what happens is this, is, you know, like any of you guys have had teenagers, well, I'm just going to go do it on my own. Well, okay. As parents, what do we do? We set a, a, a rules to follow for the house. We say, hey, this is how our, our family is going to do this. For me and my family, we will serve the Lord. We set a tone and an atmosphere in our house, and we say, this is how we're going to live. And if you choose not to live that way, that's fine. But sometimes it's, you may not live here and do that. But, so God says, hey, you're born again. I love you, but you also have the right to not live how I ask you to live. He doesn't force us. There's no, have you ever once been forced by God to do anything? Do you ever show up at your door and be like, you're going to go do this right now? No, he doesn't do that. God is not that way. He doesn't force us to do anything. What he does is he comes to us and says, hey, this is going to be better for you. This is what's right for you. This is how your life is going to improve. This is how you can become more like me if you do this. Sometimes he knocks on the door and says, hey, Let's stop it. And sometimes he's like, just stop it. But there is correction from God. 
And I think sometimes as Christians, we don't want the correction from God. We just want all the blessings from God. But as you guys know, correction in a household, correction is there. But when correction comes with correction comes blessing. Because it brings us into alignment of what God is doing. It brings us into alignment of his will, not our will. You guys ever set, thought you knew better than your parents and then messed up? And you're like, yep, they were right. You hated to admit it, but they were right. At one point, your parents were smarter than you. But God says, you have the right to become my children. You don't have to be. You can be born again. And he's like, I love you. You're my, I'm, you're my child. But he's like, you have the right to still not come into my uh, household. You still have the right to not come into my kingdom. And act like, and behave the way you should. So when we become the children of God, that means we, does, we have to take our will our emotions, our desires, and give them to him and say, okay, I am your child. I'm submitting myself to you. You guide me. You lead me. You direct me. As humans, that's hard because we have a will of our own. And we get to a certain point in our lives at a certain age, we're like, well, you can't tell me what to do. It's like he's not telling you what to do. He's asking you. He's saying, I need you to do this if you do this. He's not like, you're going to do this. But when he asks you to do something, as a child of God, we should say yes. Jesus, in the garden, sweating blood, before his father says, if this cup can pass from me, if sin being put on me, if death being put on me can pass from me, please let it do so. But it's not what I want, it's what you want. I don't think God is ever going to ask you to do the extre extreme thing as Jesus did. God is going to ask you to do things, and what happens is this, is when we are his children and we, we follow him and we believe in him and we trust in him, when we trust in him, we know he has a, the, our best intentions in mind. You ever thought, you know, someone talks to you and you're like, I don't know if they have good intentions for me when you're talking to them. Like, they're telling you things and you're like, I feel like they're trying to trick me or they're trying to entrap me in something or they're just, they don't really want good things for me. You ever been there? You're like, you're talking to somebody, you're like, yeah, I don't really think they're on my side, of the, uh, on my team. They want something bad for me. That's not God, though. God doesn't say, well, you're going to do this and do this, and he's like, and then he lets you do it, and he's like, ha, ha tricked you no god doesn't do that god loves you and he's like hey i created you for a purpose i'm going to direct you and guide you and lead you so you can fulfill that purpose he only leads us and does things for us and shows us where to go for our good it's never detrimental following god is never detrimental to us it may feel that way because you're like, you didn't do it. I'm not doing what I want to do. Anybody ever been at work and be like, oh, I don't really want to do that right now. Yes. Like, I don't even really want to work right now. I just want to go home, <laughs> you know. It's like on Friday at like 3 o'clock, you're like, do we have to be here? Do we really have to be here the rest of the day? I mean, when your uh, VP says that, I'm like, yes, close down, close down. And it wouldn't, yeah. I didn't, I didn't say that, but. I was like, yes, that would be great. Let's go home at 3. I'd love that. But when we 
look at that. God is never going to give us something that is dangerous for us. He's going to ask us to do challenging things in our life. He's going to ask us to do things that are, that are harder than what we've ever done. He's going to ask us to create things that we've never done. He's going to ask us to set boundaries in our life that sometimes are hard to set. But he's going to do that. And when he asks us, it's only for his glory and our good. God is never going to send us on a task or ask us to do something in our life that is not going to be beneficial for us. It may suck sometimes when you're doing it. It may struggle sometimes. It's funny because our kids sometimes like, how do you guys do what you do? We're like, what do you mean? Like, how do you deal with people when they hate you? I'm like, just don't worry about it. And they're like, how do you have a message every week? Like, you just do it. But here's the thing. When you're in the will of God, none of that stuff matters. You just do what God asks you to do. How do, you, how do you walk in the will of God as children of God and be able to receive from God? I think too many times we as Christians, we, we, we are the children of God, but we don't know how to communicate with the Father to be able to receive from him and hear what he has for us. We go about our lives and we're doing stuff and like, why is God not involved in this? He's like, you never let me get involved in this. We, a lot of times what we do is we do something and say, God, I want you to help me with this. Or, God, I'm going to do this, and you need to be involved in this because this is what I want to do. Instead of asking, God, what do you want me to do? God, what are you asking me to do? Not what am I telling you to do? Your kid ever walked up and you said, you're going to do this right now, and I need this right now. And you're like, you're hilarious. But think about it. We do that to God. We're like, I'm going to go do this, and God, you better show up and help me with this because I want it. Not what you want. We all do it. But he says, you have the right to become my children. And when we become our, his children, we have the right to become submissive to him. In our culture, that's a no-no. In our culture today, it's, I'm not going to submit to anybody. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't want to work a regular job because I want to be my own boss. Guess what? When you're your own boss, you're still somebody's servant. You're still submitting to somebody. Like I had this one person say, well, I'm going to be my own boss. That's great. You get to figure out your own finances. You get to figure out your own jobs. But who pays you at the end of the day? It is the client that you are working for. They're still your boss. And here's the thing is, we have to learn to submit ourselves to God and it's hard sometimes because our will gets involved. I'm like, I want to do this. And God's like, I don't really think it's wise. Or you just don't have peace about it. You guys ever gone into something and you think, oh, this is going to be great. And you're like, then you don't have peace. And you're like, yeah, this is really not working out for me right now. This is really not going well. And you're anxious and you're nervous. And you're like, God, I need you right now. And he's just like, I told you not to do that. <laughs> but think about it. He's not always going to get in our face and say, you're wrong, stop it. He's just going to whisper and say, hey, probably wasn't not going to be a wise choice. But he allows us to. He allows us the free will to go on what we want to do and still come back to his household. Look at, look at the prodigal son. 
takes his father's inheritance, blows it all on booze, hookers, and whatever. I mean, it's true. Come on. Why are we sugarcoating things in church? That's what he did. I'm sorry, women of the night. And um, blew all of his money, blew all of his inheritance, and he's in a pig trough eating food out of a pig trough. And then, yeah, he's gotten to the pretty lowest of the low. Because you ever worked with pigs? Yeah. You know. It's, it is. It is what it is. He's in a pig trough eating the food the pigs eat. And he says, well, at least I can go back into my father's house. And I'll, I'll go back and I'll beg him to be a servant. I'll beg him to be a servant. And what does he do? He goes back, but his father sees him from afar off. That means his father was always looking for him, always waiting for him, always expecting him to come back, and always hoping that he would come back. And so when he comes back, his father takes him in. He probably had to shower him off a little bit because he probably smelled like pig. And so he makes him get cleaned up, puts a robe on him, puts a ring on his hand, and that ring was a symbol that he is, has authority in my house, that he, has, he is part of my family. But the son expected just to go back as a servant. He goes, at least I know I'm going to get fed and I won't be fed with pigs if I'm a servant. He fell from, I'm the top in the town of money, wealth, I got everything. You know, he was driving his, you know, Ferrari version of a chariot back then. You know, he had everything, and then he's down in the lowly place. But he says, at least when in the father's house, I can go back to the father's house and be a servant in the father's house. And what happens is, is this, is sometimes we lose our identity of who we are, and we like, you know what? Does he still love me? At least I can go back and serve him in his house. At least I can get crumbs from the table. It's better than the slop that they're feeding to the pigs. But what the father does is he brought him back, and he brought him back to the same spot he was before. He said, I don't care who you are, where you've been, you're still my son, and I'm going to put you back into that spot that you were before you took all the money, said, I don't need you, said, I can do it on my own. And he brought him back, and he set him at the table. When Jesus died for us, he didn't just die for, well, you know, if they choose me and they behave properly, then it's for them. No, it wasn't that way. It was for all sin, all time, present, past, and future. And he said, you know, my blood is going to cover that. My blood is going to cover what we've done in our life. Because when we're born again, how many of you guys know when we get saved, sinning never stops. We become more and more like Christ as we become more mature and understand who he is. But sin always happens. Our tongue gets out of control. Our mind gets out of control. Our emotions get out of control. And things happen. We all fall short of the glory of God. But he says, my children belong in the house. And when we, we, we take ourselves and we bring ourselves as children of God and we place ourselves in the house of God, that means our mind, will, and emotions have to submit to what he's doing. You ever had an argument with God? Out loud? 
not in your head, and you're arguing with God, and you're just like, well, I don't want to do that. You're asking me to do it. I don't want to do that. A lot of times when we, I have an argument with God, he wins. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like my wife. Um, I think they team up on me sometimes. Though. Like, he gives her good pointers to go at me when they're having an argument. I'm like, duck on it. I'm like, you got to quit talking to him when we're having an argument. Um, but that argument with God, he's willing to have that argument because he knows he's always right. Oh, he keeps sounding more and more like my wife sometimes. Um, but, yes, anyway, um, before I get myself into a hole that I can't get myself out of here, um, he allows us to have those arguments because he wants us to have free will. Free will doesn't mean that everything we do should be perfect. God gives us free will because he wants us to think. He wants us to make those mistakes and when we do make those mistakes, so he can show us how to live right. Not like, oh, well, you know, you made a mistake, you're, you're cast out. He wants us to have that free will, so we have the mind to think about those things. And, but what happens is this, is as we become more mature, as we read the Bible, as we spend time in prayer, our mind, will, and emotions become more and more mature. And so we're not having those petty arguments with God. Like, I told you I wanted this, and you didn't give it to me. It's like a kid at a toy store and they don't get the hot wheel car that they wanted and they're throwing a fit in the cart screaming and, and you know and it's like okay when we're born again sometimes it's like that but as we mature we should be mature we don't need 40 year old christians still screaming in the cart in the middle of walmart when they don't get the hot wheel car we need we need, yes, that I may have experienced a toddler in a, um, in a Walmart that it was a really, really good analogy when I thought about it. So, yeah, I may have experienced that. Um, I just walked by. I'm like, mm, nope. But, yeah, that's, that's a bummer. Um, but we need to mature. Our arguments need to mature with God. I, God wants us to ha question him. God wants us to, to have those conversations with him. Like, God, why is it? I don't know why this is, and I, I'm mad at you, and he's like, okay, I can work with that. It's that open conversation with God that allows us to be able to receive from him. But too many people, I'm just mad at God. Well, why are you mad at God? I don't know, I'm just mad at God. Well, have a conversation with him. We can be mad at God, but a majority of the time when we, we have those things, it's because we didn't get what we wanted from him. Well, I wanted a Ferrari. And he didn't give it to me. I'm mad at God. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we have to have those conversations with God. As children of God, we have to. You guys ever had a conversation with, uh, you know, your seven or eight-year-old and had, had a really good conversation with them? And you're like, yeah, I think they got it. And then, like, 30 minutes later, like, yep, they didn't get it. Yeah. That's our conversations with God a lot of times when, when, as we grow. We're never going to be perfect. We're never going to be what God or who God is, but we have the, that, those steps of following towards being like Jesus, acting like Jesus, responding like Jesus. And as his children, we have the ability to say, God, I don't understand what's going on. You ever had your kid ask you a question and they don't know what's going on? They need, you know, something's happening and they just need that answer. We can, still go, we can go to God as, that, as like a five-year-old go to their parents and say, I don't know what's going on. I'm scared. I need your help. I need you 
to give me peace. I need you to settle my emotions. So when God says, hey, I'm bringing you into my house, he says, I love you, but there's some rules we have to follow. There's some things that we have to live by. There's some normal household things that we have to do. And one of them is this. It says in verse 11, it says, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Not like Cain, who killed his brother. Um, yeah, please don't kill each other. Um, who was the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's works were righteous. Do not marvel, my brothers, if the world hates you. It says this. We know that when we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Whoever does not love his brother remains in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life remaining in him. And that says this. It says, by this we know the love of God, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for our brothers. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need but does not clothe and but closes his heart to, in compassion to him, now can the love of God remain in him. My little children, let us love not in the world's speech, but in action and in truth. So this verse is actually referencing Romans 5a. It says, but clearly sh shows that God proved his love for us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So if God says, hey, you're my children, you come into this house, there's some actions there's some rules that we have to follow and that is love one another christ loved us while we were sinners died for us shed his blood for us to cover us from death hell you can love one another so being in a household of god is like being in a household with eight kids sometimes they're not going to get along sarah and i were talking about this yeah, two kids. That's my shirt. I know, but I still want to wear it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about this, Sarah and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago, and we were saying how discord does not, will not rest here. In, in this church, discord will not rest. I will not allow it. I will not allow the family of God to look like my dysfunctional family I grew up with. We have to set a standard in our lives that dysfunction will not be part of the body. The problem is we have too many dysfunctional bodies, too many dysfunctional churches where people are arguing over the stupidest, pettiest things, and we can't get along to accomplish what God has asked us to accomplish. Churches split over the stupidest things. Well, I didn't like the worship. Well, get over it. I didn't like the color of this, and I didn't like the way they did this, and I don't like this, and it's okay. You'll be fine. It's not going to kill you. But did you die? No. But it says, love one another. How do we love one another when we are arguing over stupid things? How do we love one another when we split a church because someone didn't like the color of the carpeting? How do, why, how do we love one another when we can't get along over the tiniest things? Where does unity in the body come from, unity in the, in the body of Christ come when we can't even 
we are so worried about doctrine instead some little thing of doctrine instead of saying oh do you believe that jesus christ died on the cross his blood was shed for us he died for us went to hell for us rose again for us so that we could have eternal life that should be the one uniting point as christians but we can't even do that But the commandment is to love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Brothers and sisters, love one another. But Sarah and I were talking, I said, we were talking with some people. We said, we will not let that devour our church. I said, it won't last long. Or that spirit won't last long. We will not allow division to come in and the body to start arguing with each other. And, well, I didn't like this and this, blah, blah, blah. They don't last long. About three months, that's about I timed it. <laughs> so, um, but as we love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to put aside our differences. We have to quit looking at, well, they did this and they said this to me. Forgiveness comes in. And I think what happens is this, as we love one another, as we love brothers and sisters in Christ, as we love people, we have to say, okay, they're not me, they're not God. I can look, I can look past that because God has asked us to love them like he loves me. And I think that's hard for people sometimes. We get territorial with things like, oh, well, you know, they... they they did this, and I, they, this is mine, and I don't. No, God said, love one another as I have loved you. And sometimes loving one another is hard because we get, in our mind, this is how it has to be, and this is what I want to do, and this is how I would do it, and they didn't do it my way. And I didn't get the car, and now I'm going to kick and scream in the cart until I get my way. I would have just pushed the cart and been like, see ya. But it says that we should lay our life down for our brothers. If we have something uh, uh, that we, and monetary or worldly things, and I'm not talking bad things, I'm talking money, time, whatever it is that we can help somebody with, but, and we don't, we're like, oh, no, we'll figure out. Somebody else will do it. Do we actually love our brother? Is Christ in us? And so many times what happens is this, we're like, well, it's like that whole mindset, be, uh, you know, when someone's screaming something, somebody's attacking me. Do you know how many times people call 911? Very rarely they think, oh, someone else will do it. Someone else will take care of it. I don't, I'm, I'm just not going to get involved in it. And what happens is someone very rarely calls 911 and something bad happens to somebody. I think it's so, that way in the church, too. Sometimes we, we, we look, oh, they're, they're in need. Ah, oh, you know, I'm a little short this week. I'll, I'll just let somebody else take care of it. Oh, I don't really, eh, I don't really know them that well. Or I don't really, you know, they kind of rub me wrong. I'm just going to, I'll walk away on this one. I won't do it. But is the love of God in us when we choose not to? 
the thing is, is as children of God, the love of God should be in us. It should flow through us, and people around us should see it. It should be tangible to people. It should be tangible to the people around us that we love God and we love other people. But what happens is we're like, well, I'm a Christian. I'm just going to give you a, it's like the, irks me when some of the restaurants in town, the, the Christians would come in and they would give the waitress like a $20 tip and then she'd get her $20 tip and realize it was a track that looked like a $20 tip and that was her tip. And I'm like, who is that? I'm going to chase him down in the parking lot and smack him with the love of Christ. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but as Christians, we should be leaving that $20 tip, not the, the no money and say, why are you working on a Sunday to provide for your family? And leave them the, the, the $20 track that looks like you're leaving them something. Is that the love of God in us? No. That is disgusting. Yes, we want that person to be born again. But how do we know that person is not born again? And why are we not blessing them? If they have to work on a Sunday, that means they are probably struggling financially to make it. And why can we not bless them? As the, whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need but closes his heart of compassion for him, how can the love of God remain in him? It didn't say, I just don't give. It says, closes his heart of compassion. If we close our hearts to what we see in need and in want and lacking in this world, is God really living in us? We have to really evaluate that. You know, sometimes I think we become like those people. Well, somebody else will call. Somebody else will take care of it. And there's times where it's like, you know what? I've been, I, 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 there was always this guy in, for like two weeks at Walmart in town one time, and I was driving through, and I would see him. And he just said, need money to get back to, I can't remember what country it was. He was just going back. And I'm like, you know what? I drove by him, but I was like, how many people are stopping for him? I said, whether he takes the money and, and does stupid things with it or it's, it's a complete lie, I said, my heart was like, feel like I just need to give it to him. Gives him something because you know what? If he is not lying and he needs that money to get home and I turn my face away from him and I, I say, no, you know what? I'm just not going to. I don't, you know, we are, as humans, we're naturally pessimistic in some ways. We just always think that, you know, whoever's got a sign that says they need something is, is lying to us because we, you know, we see the stories on the news and we, we hear things. But what God is saying is, is, can you close your heart and compassion for somebody who's in need? Here's the thing is, it doesn't have to be the full amount. It can be a $5. It can be $2. It can be $20. But it's just. Do we close our heart in compassion? When we see someone in need, do we say, oh, you know, it's just not my thing. Think about the Good Samaritan. How many people pass by that man that was beaten and robbed? You know, and what was it? It wasn't, it wasn't the average person passing by him. It was the church people. It was, the, it was the, the rabbis and the holy people that were passing by him. And like, oh, you're just too gross. Oh, you're just, no, no. Compassion for our brothers and sisters is this, is if they're in need, we take care of them. If there's lack, we, we, we fill that, that lack. If there's something they're struggling, we pray with them. We s sit with them. 
here's the thing is if we don't have compassion for our brothers, how are we going to have compassion for the world? If we can't be, have compassion for the people around us, then why are we even trying to do anything else? If you can't have compassion for the people who are in the body of Christ, who are friends with you, you see every day, and you're like, oh, no, somebody else will take care of that. Then how is the world going to know that we are believers? How is the world going to know that we love Jesus and we follow him? He says this, says, whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need closes his heart and closes his heart of compassion from him. How can he remain in God? He says, my little children, let us not love in word and speech, but in action and in truth. God requires something as children of God to be action oriented. We can't be like, oh, I love God, but have no action involved in it. There has to be some action to what is happening with our walk with God. As children of God, he gives us, gives to us so we can give to other people. He blesses us so we can bless other people. He sets us free so we can lead other people into freedom. But action has to be involved in us. Loving one another has to take action. Loving one another requires speaking the truth in love. Loving the world and reaching the lost requires truth and action. But loving one another requires us to open our heart of compassion to him. Requires opening our heart to God so that he can fill our heart with his love, his peace, his joy, his compassion for the people around us. But we have to acknowledge Jesus first. Acknowledging Jesus and who he is, the son of God. You know, I was listening to this guy. He's like, yeah, I, I'm really just studying the Jesus right now. I was like, oh, that's cool. He's like, I'm really studying the man, Jesus. I'm like, and he, he explained, he's like, I'm just really studying, you know, all the good things he did. I'm like, okay. Yes, he did some good things. He did some really good things. But we can't take Jesus as the man without taking Jesus as the Son of God, the Redeemer of the world. We, we, oh, well, Jesus, he was a really nice guy. Yes, he was a really nice guy, but he also got a little ticked off every now and then. He also had righteous anger, and he had a desire to see his Father's kingdom come. But what happens is we want to we take Jesus and split him off. We, we want to make Jesus human. And Jesus was human, but he was God. And we have to take him for who he was. Not, well, he's just a nice guy and he loved people. Yes, but have you ever met anybody that's cleared a church out with a whip driving people out? He got a little angry every now and then. But it was a righteous anger. He said, you're making my father's house a den of thieves. But Jesus, we have to acknowledge him for who he is. He is the son of God. 
In Romans 10, 9, it says this, Because you have acknowledged and confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, recognizing his power, authority, and the majesty as God, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple as that. Acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God, and confess with your mouth that he is Lord, and you shall be saved. The great thing about that is, is this, is it brings us into the kingdom of God. It brings us, the moment we do that, we acknowledge him for who he is, that he is the son of God and that he is the redeemer. And confess with our mouth that he is Lord. He now calls us his children. And all it takes is that moment, those, that, still small moment of just saying, I need you. I need you in my life. And what happens is this, is he transforms us. He takes us from whatever we were and says, I'm going to now make you new. Doesn't, you know, fix us up. Doesn't put a patch on it, put some duct tape on it, gorilla glue it, and then send us back out there. He makes us new. We are a new creation in him. A lot of people are like, well, my knee still hurts. Yes, because it's not about the body. It's about the spirit. But he makes us new. It brings us alive to Christ. It brings us into a relationship with him so he can call us our, his son or daughter. But take that time just to, to recognize his voice, hear his voice, that 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 still small voice that sometimes it's like, man, what is going on? And he's just tugging at you. Recognize that as God and submit yourself to him. Because when you submit yourself to him, he gives you freedom. People are like, well, I don't want to submit myself to him. I'm getting all my freedom. No. When you submit yourself to God, freedom comes with that. Because what happens is, is this. People think, when I submit myself, why well, someone has to rule and reign over me. But what you don't understand is when you come in and submit yourself to God, you now become part of the household of God. And what happens is this. There's a covering for you. There's a responsibility for you. People don't realize when you submit yourself, there's a, bit, there's a greater freedom because you're not responsible for it. Christ is now the, your covering. You're not going to be held accountable for your sin because Christ paid for it. God gives you freedom. There's freedom to move within the body. There's freedom to move within his house because he is your covering. So as sons and daughters, we have the, the choice. Do we love him and love our brothers and sisters like he asked us to? Or do we close our heart of compassion towards the people around us? But it says, if you do that, how can the love of God remain in us? How can the love of God remain in us if we have no compassion for the people around us? And sometimes it's hard because we get selfish. We get focused. You ever been into a store and you're just like, I'm getting in there and I'm going to do what I'm going to do and, and I'm going to do it. And, and you, you get high, something gets highlighted to you, but you're like, I got to get in and I got to get out. I'm in a hurry. And then you get out to the car, you start your car, and you're driving out, and God's like, I put that person in your path for a reason. I put that person in your way, in your vision, 
So you saw that person for a reason. But we're like, I was in a hurry. I had to get my Doritos and get going. But opening our heart to compassion for the people around us. Loving our brothers and sisters the way that God loved them. Is the thing. Is that, that's obedience to him. It's listening to his, his commandments to us and saying, yes, I'm going to obey what you have to say. I'm going to do what you are doing. I'm going to obey what you say because why? Because he is our father and he's giving us direction. He's leading us into the proper way. 